Hello and welcome to Entrepreneurship with Peter Christo. Today I have the honour of interviewing Michelle O'Neill. Michelle O'Neill is the founder of Cherry Tree Equine, a multifaceted business that specialises in helping people with their horses, trading horses and even online learning. Michelle is a delightful human being, a quintessential Aussie and someone who clearly loves what she does. Please enjoy my interview with Michelle O'Neill. The previous podcast that I just published today with Efrain Hark was uh, to do with women in entrepreneurship. Okay. So there were some conversations that I, th I think some of the listeners find interesting. So you sound like you're just a consummate lover of horses and you've just, you know, got involved in a whole bunch of things. So maybe just introduce yourself. Um, you know, so, you know, absolutely welcome to, to the podcast. Thanks for agreeing to, to do this. Um, I, I know it's very, very unstructured, but I'm very, very interested to understand um, the kind of your type, your, your type of spinning up a business around horses uh, and, you know, the equine industry. And, you know, as a, as a woman, as a, uh, you know, uh, you know, living on, in rural, rural, well, the rural part of uh, the ACT there. So, um, so might introduce, introduce yourself, tell us a bit about what you do. So um, my name is Michelle O'Neill and I own a little business called Cherry Tree Equine. And essentially how we describe Cherry Tree Equine, it's about helping horses with their people problems. So it's about creating relationships. It's about people overcoming issues that they're having. Um, and obviously, you know, that has effects for not only, you know, what it means for the horse but also for the for the humans and their own mental health and their mental well-being so you know like a, a like a lot of country girls I suppose um I you know grew up with horse poo on the brain and unfortunately unlike a lot of country girls it never seemed to wash away so I've kind of stuck with it so um you know it's one of those things people used to ask you know if I'd teach and stuff and out of that I actually developed a business and so you know like everybody you know started out you know giving lessons and you know that's where a lot of backyarders start they start out giving lessons and then you know develop that into a clinic um kind of system where i teach over you know a couple of days and travel around the country and do that and now we've morphed it again whereby i'm still doing my clinics but i'm actually doing a lot of online training as well because you know the world's changing and and people can't commit to a couple of days quite often because of course my lot of a lot of my clientele is women yeah sure sure i, I look i'm a little bit in touch with the industry not that I'm, i mean i've done a little bit of horse riding myself but my daughter was enamored with horses when she was about 12 um uh, right around the time while i was going through a divorce um and uh so so you know me you know carrying all the guilt in the world you know took it you know drove the one hour out to 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 the uh to the place you know the riding you know uh got her on the horses paid my 50 bucks an hour i think it was at the time um and uh, which hurt right <laughs> which hurt. um her, her godparents bought her the jodhpurs the you know the boots the helmet that you know she she got all the stuff right and uh and then guess what happened she lost interest that's right <laughs> What what generally happens at that moment, Peter, is you know, like you say, twelve year old, and then the next thing they discover is boys. So when uh, they discover boys, the horses fall by the wayside. Poor horsey. 
Uh, yeah, and that's and so what happens is it, it sort of goes one of a few ways. They either you know they forget about horses and they do other things, and then they come back later on, or else they keep poddling along, and then women go on and have kids and families, right. and then they they have to step back from the horses, and then they come back. So it's this whole cycle where it's like a big washing machine, and people step out and step in, and step out and step in. It's it's awesome. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was recently in Vanuatu, and I had the the pleasure of doing a uh, a trail ride through uh, the rainforests in uh, Vanuatu. It was, uh, it was it was beautiful, but I do feel sorry for some of those horses. They they kind of learn the the way to go, and you've got this illusion of riding a horse that somehow you're in control of. And so I have, you know, I mean, nowhere near your skill level, I'm sure, but you know, I can make a horse turn. You know, I can make a horse go generally in the direction I want it to go. But geez, it was some work to to make it realise that, hey, you know. <laughs> Mate, you and me. <laughs> yeah. I want to go this way, and you need to do that. That, yeah, those horses—they, yeah. they, um, <laughs> they the, the lady behind me was having real troubles, and I said, "Look, the first thing is that you know you got to make sure you're smarter than the horse." Uh, and and it's so during it every time she had no control of the the animal at all, and I just look at her and I said, "Remember rule number one." You've got to be smarter than horses. Yeah. I, I genuinely think that's horses smarter than her. You know? oh, and horses are very, very good at training humans. You know, um, yeah. I recently bought a horse and um, he's had some injuries. And because he's had the injuries, he's learned to push people around. And uh, anyway, he yeah, he's he's got a tricks down pat. He knows exactly what to do. Yeah. So, so. So, Michelle, why don't we, because what I want to do is sort of create a nexus. Obviously, clearly you're a passionate, you know, uh, person, you know, when it comes to horses and you've got a real, real love for it and you kind of got dragged, obviously not unwillingly, dragged into creating uh, work for yourself, being able to, uh, I guess, support yourself um, by doing what you love. And I guess we talk about find what you love and, and you know, do it as you work and it won't feel like work. Um, I'm sure that's not always the case, but but you know um, that's kind of the idea. But I'm interested. Sometimes people think, oh, you know, I'm going to start a business. What is it going to be? Um, uh, you knew what it was going to be, but to turn what you did into a business, mm -hmm. what was the journey like for you? Were you naturally sort of? Did you have natural commercial acumen? Did you have to read a book? Did you get guidance or mentorship? And did 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 being you know being a female adult woman um, however you want to call it, step, step, um, you know, step on a step on a landmine here. Um, uh, how did that? How did that play out for you? Did you find it that it helped you or it hindered you? Like, what, the, yeah, the, the actual <laughs> funny thing about my whole journey is that um, I, like I said, you know, I've always been horse mad, and um, I grew up like in rural New South Wales. And, and so we had horses on the farm. My dad was a backyard racehorse trainer and, you know, I went to pony club and run. Anyway, I was always the one, oh, I wanted to work in the horse industry, wanted to work in the horse industry. And my parents wouldn't let me. They actually, um, they said, no, you will not go and basically shovel poo for somebody forever because that's, um, you know, that's what a lot of people end up doing. So I actually went, I ended up working in corporate agriculture for quite a few years um, right. and so worked around New South Wales and different places. I went to university. I've got a Bachelor of Business degree in uh -huh. ag. Yeah. Um, in ag. Oh, yeah. Nice. So um, it's a yeah, Bachelor of Business ag commerce. So 
like everything was sort of ag and yet the calling was probably already always there so what then happened was i ended up coming back to the monero um, which is home i'd been away for 10 years and i came back and i was working again in ag and then stuff just started happening on the side and and look you know at home i'm known you know it's a, it's a small country town or area you know i'm known so that was sort of easy and then out of that um i managed to put myself into a job that i was only paid an hourly rate so what i was able to do over as my business started i could actually scale back my hours working for these wonderful people but i mean you know honestly the business degree if i'm really honest about that the greatest thing that taught me was how to walk the corridors um, mm -hmm. and i did a unit called applied finance and and i'm not at all mathematical and our lecturer he hit the first assignment he actually set it so that the only way you could pass was actually to come and see him in his office and ask questions and that's what he said he said you know the greatest lesson you'll learn from here is to walk corridors and that out of that i think that sort of inspired a bit of a an inquisitive nature to ask a lot of questions and and i've been really lucky to be able to become friends with some amazing not just horse trainers but business people um so an actual classic example is ian francis and anyone who's been in the western industry will know ian's name what a lot of people don't know about ian is that He's a fantastic horse trainer and, and won just about everything in this country. But Ian actually made a, like he became a millionaire. He he actually made, and he jokes, he says, I made a million dollars out of training horses and I'll lose it all. He's now retired from training horses. He says, I'll lose it all on cattle. Um, right. You know, and, and that's it. Like he bought, you know, he bought a lot of country up around Queensland and, and he's done really well. And Ian is now 78 years of age. And, you know, I remember I did a DVD. I used to write for Horsewise magazine and out of that we did a DVD and it's called Please Can I Have a Pony? And and that DVD is still in existence. It's It's about helping people, you know, buying and looking after their first horse. And we were down at Delegate and I was picking Ian up. He'd been doing a, a, a camp drafting clinic and somebody at the clinic asked me how the DVD was going because we were just about to release it at Equitana the following week. And I hung my head and, you know, mumbled and said, oh, you know, it's okay. And it takes about, I'd reckon, oh, just under an hour to drive from Delegate to Cooma. Mm -hmm. And I copped an hour in the car of how from Ian of how I was to never hang my head and talk myself down again right and you can't buy that kind of help and experience mm -hmm. and you know so yeah a lot of really fantastic people like that and I think too you know the fact that I'm interested in in business you know like I I, I don't you know if you listen to my podcast it's not really many horse training podcasts it's a lot of business podcasts so I think that's been a big help too yeah so so that's what i'm i guess i'm coming to understand so you've come in it from a position of passion had enough for whatever reason you know got into the business degree which again teaches you you know the academic side of things i don't think i remember a thing about the graduate degree um uh which was in business as well uh but certainly certainly i i learned you know i learned some skills around getting stuff done and getting around particular lecturers <laughs> difficulty difficulty with 
and and the contacts that are made there. But I guess to the other thing you mentioned uh, about it was Ian, right? Um, so so having a good mentor, um, but also something in you as a human being was motivated enough to take action rather than go and get a job. So I think there's something in that that is, you know, a belief in yourself that I can do this. Um, and it may not have even occurred to you that you couldn't. So, yeah. so you certainly, you, you know, you knew, probably knew what a balance sheet was and had a concept of what a profit and loss was and that, you know, money comes in and money goes out um, and you've got, to get, you've got to get that balance right. But it sounds like you've, you've got a very can-do attitude uh, and you know what? So what? So other than so, Ian's guidance has that continued over the years? I guess he's maintained. You've maintained a relationship with him. Yeah, uh, a mentor called Ian. <laughs> so, yep. uh, coincidence there. Um, I think it, I think it's definitely invaluable, and it also talks to humility uh, to hear to not you know to hear somebody else's view, even though you've got to then synthesize it into something that's relevant for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what other support? So, was your partner? Did you you sort of entered into a relationship during that, and and then, I guess, also had to convince him that this is what you do. And <laughs> poor, poor, poor Warren, he's just given up. <laughs> he just, he just given goes, up. You, you do. So yeah, um, no, he is very supportive. Um, Eljack's side, and and I mean, any anybody who's listening who um, has had anything to do with a horse person. We'll understand that we're a pretty single-minded bunch, um, and we're pretty. Well, we can get very focused on what we want to achieve, and and of course, the other thing is for me too, which I sort of haven't talked about, is that I'm fairly competitive, and I actually compete even now. I'm still competing, um, so you know, he that had all come with me. Um, you know, I was already competing. I was already going to the national finals. You know, I was doing all that. I was traveling all over the place, so that sort of. That competitive nature kind of, you know, I suppose drives me a little bit. But the other thing is, uh, I mean, competition, anyone who competes in any sporting event, um, you know, or any event really, you know, every day is a new day. And I'll give you a classic example. I went down to Gundagai Rodeo last Saturday and competed and my good horse, who has been amazing in his career, he just didn't turn up. I have no idea what happened. Now, you want to talk about being humbled. Um, you know, you're running with the top girls in the country and your horse doesn't just doesn't run. And and you know, that that I think I think that probably helps to keep keep your bit your feet on the ground and keeps you a bit humble and and so yeah, Warren sort of had already known that all of that was was in me and and he's been very supportive, all jokes aside, you know, he he um he does you know, we run two separate businesses. Um, we do run two separate businesses. So, um, but he does support me. And, you know, I've got, you know, three and a half thousand acres out here to play on because, you know, he bought the farm and the farm that we live on is his passion. Um, right. so, you know, he follows that. And so I get to tag along for the ride. So that's been amazing. Um, but yeah, it's it, a it, symbiotic relationship to yeah. me. So, so, yeah. So tell me a little bit about, so it sounds like part of your business is kind of like an online educational thing. So let, let's break that up a little bit. So w- what what are the component parts? You know, the the average business, you make a widget, you 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 make it for a dollar, you sell it for $2, woohoo, off to, off to the races you go. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what, what does that look like in it in the very you sound like you've got a number of different business units can do you want to talk, take us through that yep so um sort of the the core the core part of the business is still the the clinics is still the horsemanship clinics where i travel you know across the country and you have a group of you know 10 people for a couple of days and you work with them and, and they have their the, own they bring the byo horse yeah, be all BYO horse, BYO horses. Um, so then, of course, then out of that, we also have part of the business where I actually, because I breed my own competition horses, they obviously don't all make it. Um, I'm not interested in second-rate horses for me. So because of my horsemanship background, my competition horses that don't make it are very, very saleable, and people just love them because they are quiet and they can do anything and stuff. So we've sort of got that part of the business as well. Then I do take in the odd outside horse and sell that for other people. Um that so you actually can make a margin on that you make a margin on the horse yeah by, by yep. yep i'll give you a classic example the other day i had a horse sent to me from armadale it was here for five weeks the owner got six thousand dollars and i got three and a half thousand dollars so i can make reasonable money out of that but the thing is with that part of the business is I actually don't like it because there's a, a lot of con very negative connotations around horse dealers mm -hmm. and horse dealers are a bit like used car dealers. People don't like them. So we yeah, try my to... Brother, my brother's a used car dealer. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's like... It's a really nice guy yeah. in case you see this. My farrier reminds me all the time that I'm verging on being a used car dealer. He's like, you, you're pushing it. So... Yeah, so we don't do a lot of that. But what we tend to do is that just tends to be a boutique little thing that we can do when the horses turn up or we have clients. Generally, it's clients who need to sell horses and we help clients out. Um, and then, of course, the growing part of the business is the the territory virtual. So, you know, um, and this is where you want to talk about how uh, an economic, how you can probably take a bit of an economic risk in a business um, that has cost a lot of money to create so to give you an idea when we film as so it's all pre-filmed when we film I have two cameras on sites professionally done two cameras on site they charge me hundred dollars an hour per camera and then they take all the video footage home and they edit it and that costs me about eighty dollars an hour now we have created I am not exactly sure of how many hours of footage so far, but there's hundreds of hours. And we created all that without having sold a single subscription. Right. So, so the model is a um, monthly type subscription. Um, there's monthly a year. You're making it, you're making a video and then they watch that video and what then you jump on in Q and A and do you do that or a little bit, well, but we're sort of building that a bit. Um, so what we've got at the moment is um, we have, we use, so on, if you get on my website, um, it's actually run by Kajabi, so or the back, the software's Kajabi. So those who are subscribers actually then go into a behind the scenes section of the website and they can view footage. Then what we do is at this stage, I'm just using a Facebook group, private group to actually communicate to those people. Um, like a lot of small business people and like a lot of females with a family, um, I know the website can do more. It's just I have to find the time to put it all together. But so we actually do communicate with those people. We Yeah, they can. They can jump on. They can ask questions. Quite often they do. Um, they can then um, also request every so often when I'm filming. I'll put out member requests and I'll say, okay, guys, what do you want to see? And we film like... 
um, someone may be having trouble with something with their horse. So I'll go and film that for them and, and show them how to work through it. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of a lot of the footage that's there is is general horsemanship. It's not industry specific. It's not event specific. It's just for people. And then we try and I and basically what we've filmed is so far is everything that I know people have trouble with on a daily basis. So just trying to build that library. So that library will sit there forever then. Okay, so basically, it's a it's a library of, of videos um, that that'll take you through uh, basically an online learning course, uh, and you're looking at doing a bit of an interaction via, I guess, text or or would you would you do it via video? It'd have like you know a hundred people on the screen and answer questions. Yeah, okay, so yeah. But kind of like an ask me anything sort of thing, but still within the ecosystem of the the learning environment. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I think I think that's one of the really cool things, Peter, at this stage is because it's still small, it's still growing, you can be a little bit flexible. Like I could go, you know, I can change the format a little bit and, and, and you know, I think that's what you have to do when you're doing something like this is you have to be willing to change it to meet what people are actually expecting. So... And where are people finding you? Is it just through the Facebook group or... Uh, and are they coming from anywhere in the world? Yeah. Um, so this at this stage, we're only really getting people from Australia. Obviously, it, it can be international, and we have looked at that. Um, we're a lot of the people who are subscribing at this stage are basically people who have come to a clinic. And so, say for example, in May last year, I went to Western Australia for the first time. You know, obviously, mm. I can't get to Western Australia every month. So, mm. you know, this is the thing. If they want to follow up, then they can get on and, and access that channel and. And so, you know, keep going and then ask questions and do all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, a lot of it is follow-up from, from having first met me and worked with me and they go, we really like this, we want more of this, and then they grow from there. This podcast is brought to you by Christo Partners, strategic advisors to assist you in commercialising your innovations. If you have an opportunity you seek to bring to market and need help with either going to market connecting with universities to access technology or raising capital or any other matter, contact us on hello at christopartners.com. So do you think about, I mean, it's, in a way you've kind of answered this already, but I just wonder, you know, normally a business wants to be able to scale and the, you're kind of a key person in this organisation. So, you know, kind of like the surgeon, you know, they, they do the cutting, but they've got a bunch of people around them. Do you think about it like that or do you think about, well, you'll produce you'll produce this stuff online, you'll you could probably commercialize your clinics and have other people run them, you know, uh, even the horse trading side of the business might have um uh you know an opportunity to get somebody if it becomes busy enough, so you hire someone, you go, your job, mate, is to make more money out of what we, they cost us than what we you know, what it costs yeah. us to buy them and hold them and then sell them. Because yep. I presume you hold them for, for eight weeks, that's going to cost you something. Mm. And feed yep. you know, Definitely. So, yeah, and that, that is quite doable. Like there is there is other people, um, there's other people who have done that and quite been quite successful with it. And they've actually charged um, you know, some of the really top guys in the States that have actually charged other people to like people to come and learn with them. Um so you can you can definitely do all of that. I mean Scaling, scaling is hard because everybody trains horses and people a little differently, and 
and um, you know even I, I do clinics with a really good friend of mine and we both like we both teach together and it's really interesting because she looks at the horse and I look at the person um, right. so when we teach our teaching so even though we actually are teaching the exact same thing we see things differently so that perspective makes it a bit tough so I think as far as scaling goes I think my like biggest potential is is being able to scale it across the country like across the world as far as the videos but then being able to actually have people who yeah who can sort of who followed it and they can help each other within a community kind of setup and and I, this is the thing when you're talking about horse training you're talking about what is essentially a recreational activity to most people so they like that feeling of community and they like that feeling of, of engagement with with people who are like-minded so i think that's a big thing in the future yeah so yeah i mean it sounds like definitely you've got some upside but it still would fall into i guess this is the the the, the nexus the nexus right so some people say okay this is a lifestyle business she's doing because she loves it uh and power to her uh you know off you go um but you you probably do have some opportunities to 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 spin out something um, that sort of moves it out of the lifestyle business type things. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna create something, and that could be sellable one day. Uh, somebody can can take a position in it, and, and then cross sell and upsell and sell sell you know saddles and whatever you know uh, works for them. Um, and you want to lie down and you know sit on the porch a little bit, you know. Not <laughs> I presume you've come off a horse. You might not want to come off that you know another one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It wasn't fun. Um, uh, so, yeah. Look, uh, Michelle, I, I think that's fantastic. So how do people find – well, actually, I've got one more question before before we wind up. I've got to ask you, where did you come up with the name the, uh, for the uh, – what is it, Cherry Tree? Yeah, actually, you know, and, and Peter, I must say, this is possibly one of – it's one of the most asked questions I get as far as the business goes. And now that you've said that, I must actually do something on that on social media. But um, it's really um, – so my parents had a farm and there was a paddock on the farm called the Cherry Tree Paddock. And for various reasons, like a 1,700-acre farm, and, and for various reasons there always seemed to be horses in the paddock. And yeah. – so we called the business cherry tree and one of the reasons if i'm really honest one of the reasons why we did it is because i wasn't actually that keen to actually put my name on it to start with um yeah. and so if you've anyone who has watched my um promotional material over time you know for a long time we wouldn't really even see my name on stuff whereas now i've actually had to go oh you know what i am actually the business so yeah if if i'm really honest you know it's got the cute story of yep we had a paddock and the irony of it is the paddock actually didn't have any cherry trees in it by the time i came right. along um right. But it was the cherry tree paddock and horses were always in it so it became cherry tree equine but if the actual reason is that you know like a lot of people starting out in business and 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 in an industry where like horses where a lot of people have fairly strong opinions um i was a little hesitant to put my name on it to start with so yeah it, it's a bit of a two-sided story yeah, I guess I guess it's it's actually an interesting topic in itself, where we have certain people have characteristics, char their personal character is is you know maybe maybe more outgoing and more happy to put themselves out there. Hey, this is me. I'm doing this thing. It's amazing. Come you know, come on, come all. 
whereas other people are more, you know, circumspect. They're more, uh, I guess, uh, humble, for want of a better word. Uh, and they, they, I guess, they, they're passionate about something, but they're also not eager to. I mean, do you think there might be something to do with the tall poppy thing that people keep talking about? Oh, definitely, definitely. And and um, I think to you know, again, small country town, um, small country area, you know, like regional New South Wales. You know, no one likes to really stand out. And the other thing is for me, which um, a lot of people don't actually believe when they first hear it, is that I'm actually not a natural horse person. Uh, so even as a child, I have I have a brother, a younger brother. Um, even as a child, my brother was actually the better rider. He just wasn't interested. Um, and so, you know, at Pony Club, and, and I laugh about this all the time and, and say, you know, if you'd, when I went to Pony Club, I started Pony Club when I was probably 12 and I left when I was in my early 20s. If you'd asked all my friends, and I'm still friends with quite a few of them, if you'd asked my friends at Pony Club, if they thought, that I could go on and make a living out of the horse industry, they would have said no, right. because I'm not naturally gifted. I'm, I don't have a great heap of natural ability. I just have a real tenacity and determination and, and want to learn. And so that, I think that's a lot to do with it. I think the fact that, yeah, I sort of was like, well, hang on, I, I can't I can't tell anybody how to do this stuff. and. And um, I often tell the story about the first clinic I ever gave was a volunteer effort. I gave, I did it for nothing. It was for a local club. And, um, you know, the things you learn as you go along. A friend and I, actually the host whose place the clinic was at, um, we actually drank a couple of bottles of champagne the night before the first clinic. And so I walked in the day of the clinic and it was a wet day like, you know, today. And, and I walked in to do this clinic and I just wish the ground would swallow me up. I, I thought I was going to die. I was partially hung over and partially just was terrified that I had to teach all these people. Anyway, so then um, I got through the clinic, did it, you know, got through it. Anyway, there was a lady at the clinic and several, oh, probably six, 12 months later, she came to another clinic that I did and I was obviously not hung over and I'd gotten a little more confident about what I was doing and actually was starting to feel that maybe I could actually do this. And at the end of this second clinic, the lady walked up to me and she said, oh, you've improved so much since your first clinic. But, you know, even now, even now I'll walk in to do a clinic and I'll, you know, do the introduction and talk to people. And, you know, quite often at clinics there'll be people you don't know. And this is the thing, I have no background. When I turn up to teach for a weekend, I don't know the people, I don't know their horses, I don't know what their problems are. I'm not into, I'll find all that out when I get there and that's part of the job. But I will talk to those people for the first 15 minutes at the clinic and look at the ground because you still have that, you still have that imposter syndrome. You know, I mm -hmm. still sort of, you know, you'd battle with that, oh, am I good enough to do this? So I think, I think that's a big thing that, you know, like we talk about people starting out and stuff, that's a big thing, but it's not just when you're starting out. Like I've been doing this business for 13 years um and did you did you think ian never felt that is it I, you know i i hesitate to talk about the man woman thing um but uh, you know i'm compelled to do it because people ask it they, they they ask it my sense of it is you're you and it's got nothing to do with your 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 sex it's got nothing it's just you're uniquely you and you you're doing your thing and everyone can get pissed off 
Um, uh, so that, but why is that just your natural character that you would be, you know, shy, shy no. if that's what? <laughs> no, you're not shy. So what is it? <laughs> well, yes and no. Yes and no. Like I was very shy as a kid. You know, I think to I think for someone like Ian and and my other friend Adele, who I teach with, you know, the thing for both of them is they had lots of runs on the board as competitors. But what's very interesting, if I can talk about those two, is that very successful horse trainers, very successful competitors, not natural educators. So I know, I know, Ian had to work, and Dell has too. They both had to work very, very hard on being better with people and better at educating. And 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 I watched Ian improve over the like you know years. I was sort of watched him teach a lot. Um, because he worked on it. And I think it's interesting, whereas, you know, like I'm the of, like when Dell and I teach together, I'm the natural teacher. I'm the one who, you know, I I communicate with the students. I'm, you know, that's it. Whereas she's the horse person. And I think that's, I think it's in, but that man, woman thing, it's really interesting. The horse industry, and I'm a bit like you, I don't, like, I don't want to go, oh, poor me, I'm a girl, you know, oh, my life's so tough. Um, but the reality of it is I work in an industry where most of the clientele are female, let's be honest. Like, you know, most people who have horses are girls or ladies. Um, but the thing is with that, most of the clinicians are male. Right. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, if you go and look up, if you go and look up what horsemanship clinics or whatever are going around, you will find most of the clinicians are male. And that's because... You know, and, and this will sound terrible and someone will no doubt, you know, say I said something horrible, but most of the people in the industry, most of the women, they'd rather go to a male clinician. Right. And Why? It's just strange. It's one of those anomalies of our industry. where, But then again, it's also possibly because they're used to male clinicians as well. So don't, you know, it's and and don't get me wrong, I will go to a male or a female clinician, but if I'm really honest with you, I think every horseman, every every clinic I've ever been to as a student, and I still go because I still want to learn, um, the only ones I've ever been to with women are bowel racing clinics, and that's because bowel racing is traditionally a female sport. So no. it's very bowel much racing. an industry wide thing, yeah. Yeah, if you, um, yeah, bow racing is very much female dominated. Whereas, and that's the interesting thing about the industry too, you watch our Olympic disciplines, you know, at, at base level, at the base level where I'm teaching and I'm working, most of the people who are involved are female. And yet you sit down and watch the Olympics, they're mostly men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so, yeah. so interesting. So yeah. it's just one of those strange it's things. So there's so much there to unpack, though, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We need a, we need a psychologist to do that. <laughs> well, I can tell, uh, even though it's audio, I can actually see on the screen here. I can tell that you're you're kind of into what you do, yeah. which I think is really really important. Yeah. Uh, not to overstate it, you sound like you you jump out of bed in the morning and you rub your hands together and go, you know, game on again. Fantastic. <laughs> Um, why don't you tell uh, any listeners how they might get in touch with you and and um, uh, maybe uh, you know jump onto one of your services? 
Yeah, cool. Um, so, you know, well, obviously, you know, a great way to get in contact with us is through the website, which is just cherrytreeequine.com.au. And, yes, it does have a lot of ease in it. Um, but, you know, we're also on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Um, you know, we're all those things. We have an amazing YouTube channel. I was actually loading videos on it this morning where there's, I think, there's 200 odd videos on there if you want to get a taste for you know what it is to be a horse trainer and a clinician and you want to see what it's all about there's yeah 200 odd videos on there which are all free um and so that that's a great way to see what we're up to so yeah well you know well that's the thing isn't it these days you know you have to be everywhere and that's what we try to be so um yeah but always happy you know you can link through on the website and, and talk to us um you know, I have an amazing girl who helps me behind the scenes and and uh, she's as passionate about, you know, the industry as I am. And and so you kind of got people there who are keen and, um, yeah, we're, we're happy to help anyone, happy to talk to people and, you know, we don't care where they're from or whatever, we, or what industry they're in or what discipline they do or whether they own. I've, you know, I've even done mule clinics. So, <laughs> you know, I, I can be versatile. <laughs> What in reverse? What? <laughs> Sorry, well, actually, it was a, actually if I tell the truth, it was donkey clinic. So donkeys are not like horses. There's a difference. I got, I got yeah. a story about a donkey. But go on. <laughs> so yeah, so I got asked to do I got asked to do a donkey clinic, and um, so yeah, we can uh, yeah, we can we can be versatile. There's nothing we can't oh. do, really. I, I'm going to do a bit of a personal share here. If anybody's listening this long, they're going, to, they're going to think this was worth it. So when I was a kid, we went back to Greece. So I've got Greek heritage. My parents were immigrants. And yeah. um, they decided that uh, they're going to have another crack. And they went back. And so I was all about seven years old. Um, and we went to the village. So I've gone from living in Melbourne, you know, uh, to in this tiny little Greek village. And yeah. they, had, they had the toilet downstairs, around the back, through the stable where the, where the donkey was because that was their car. <laughs> that was their transport yeah. vehicle. <laughs> and then past the donkey, who, who, her name was Kotsoro, um, uh, you'd go into the outhouse and, and do your business. So I went in trepidatiously and snuck past the donkey um, to, get to, the, to get to the toilet. Um, and then on the way back, lo and behold, the bugger had turned around and its ass was pointed you know, in through my 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 escape, you know, area, and I thought, you bastard, you're, I'm going to get kicked here. <laughs> I'm going to get so price. So, so I don't know how long I was there waiting until my parents came and found me. You know, tears oh, in my eyes. I couldn't move. <laughs> Traumatized oh. for the rest of my life. So if you want to know anything about me, that's it. And I think you can pretty well surmise everything else after that. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, Michelle, absolute delight talking to you. Thank you for taking the time. Good luck with um with uh, your your business. It sounds like a lot of fun at the very least. Um, and uh, certainly, I, I travel up to Canberra a little bit, and if I can ever have the opportunity to to drop in, I'll I'll, I'll take it. Um, yeah, do uh, do, and you know, like let me know if you're coming up. By all means, like if you're coming up, let me know because like I've got to go to camp. That when you're up that other week, it was just the worst week. I don't know what was going on, but I had so much on. I was like, oh, but like you know, I've got to go to Canberra this Friday. You know, for the yeah. I've got to go to Canterbury. You know, so let me know if you're up and um. But by all means, come out and have a look. You don't want to come on a day like today, but uh, come on another day yeah, if you yeah. want. But otherwise, um, yeah, I'll meet you in Canberra for a coffee. <laughs> no worries. Sounds great. All right, you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. All Thanks, the best. See you, Bye. 
I hope you enjoyed my interview with Michelle O'Neill. Until next time, this is Entrepreneurship with Peter Christophe.